everyone, and welcome to episode three of the All Belong podcast. I am Samantha Gosser-Dykstra, the communications project manager at All Belong. And I am Elizabeth Lucas-Dombrowski, the executive director for All Belong. And we are in our first season of the All Belong podcast. Today, we are continuing to explore the book recently published by the Association for Christian Schools International, also known as ACSI. This book is titled Leading Insights, Special Education and Inclusion, and offers a look inside special education and inclusion in Christian schools, and is written by a group of contributing authors who are leading voices in the field. If you are a new listener, we are so grateful you're joining us, and maybe even some of you we met earlier this month in San Diego at Converge 2022. Welcome, and be sure to check out episodes one and two, where we spoke with Dr. Lynn Swanner, who is the senior editor of Leading Insights and is the chief strategy and innovation officer with ACSI. And we also spoke with Dr. Thomas Boehm, a contributing author to Leading Insights and the associate professor of special education at Wheaton College as well as the founder of the Wheaton Center for Faith and Disability. Today, we are excited to have Dr. Kate Strader with us, actually here in the studio. Kate is currently an assistant professor of special education at Calvin University. Before becoming a teacher educator in the field of special education, she served for 18 years in public education in a variety of roles. Her areas of research include developing individualized supports for self-determination, quality of life, and goal attainment for persons with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And she brings her expertise, passion, and research to her chapters in Leading Insights. Welcome, Kate. We are so glad to have you with us. Thank you. So together, we are going to dive into the chapter you co-authored with Elizabeth called The Inclusion Journey from Program to Identity. And I think this chapter kind of bridges this section of the monograph dealing with the philosophy and research of inclusion, where your other chapter you wrote is located, to the section of shaping our practice in special education and inclusion. And this chapter is centered on the practice of inclusion being a journey from program to identity. So what does that mean exactly? And why do you propose an identity-focused approach to inclusion? So for me, programs have boundaries. One can easily see the things that are in a program and things that are outside of a program. Um, So these boundaries have a potential to create um, unintentional barriers to the things that fall outside of of that program. Um, Identity, on the other hand, is much more fluid and pervasive. So um, it's harder to see the things that are in and out, um, all those aspects of schooling are part of that identity. So if we are less bound, we create fewer barriers, um, making inclusion possible. I totally agree, Kate. And one of the images that I like to use when thinking about this is a box, right? If we think of a program, um, as you mentioned, the boundaries that it can have, if we think of a program approach as being a box, the minute we build those boxes and build those sides, there are kids who will not fit, right? But if we are targeting a system of supports and building it into our identity as Christian schools, we can then um, really target our resources better, um, be more efficient with our resources, um, and make them fit for every kid rather than trying to make the kid fit into the program. Yes, this shapes our discussion around 
um, problems of fit that sometimes we're familiar with. Um, it moves us away from discussions of problems of fit. It um, turns the discussion toward uh, possibility, what can happen um, with, with support and expertise and um, joy, what is possible. Absolutely. I love being able to give ourselves the freedom to ask those questions. What would it look like? What could it look like? What can this be? I think that kind of ties into how you talk about the identity happening at four levels in the school. Um, beginning with the individual or the learner, as you call it, in the chapter, and each student being created in the image of God, emphasizing the importance of using person-first language and how the language we use edifies other people um, and edifies ourselves even, and um, just the importance of getting to know the learner. And one thing that struck me, and through your research and references, you quote Dr. Ross Green saying, behavior is communication. I'd love to hear you unpack that a little bit more. Um, how important is that, that phrase or understanding that? How important is that for knowing the learner? So really the inclusion of that piece comes from Elizabeth, which I was very grateful for because it gave the opportunity to open up this discussion around what is behavior. Uh, behavior can serve as a signpost for us. Um, it's where we can see that classroom structures maybe are not as supportive as they could be, uh, or maybe that, that they're not working well for the students that we have in front of us. Um, it's a call to action. Uh, it calls us to ask questions. Uh, what is being communicated by the student through their behavior? Um, why is the situation that the student in uncomfortable for the student? What could be different? Uh, what might be um, scary or difficult about the thing that I'm asking this child to do from their perspective? Um, how can I make this environment more comfortable for the child? That's our call to action. Kate, I hear in that the, the passion for your research and some of the work that you've done about including student voice and setting goals for the classroom, right? And we know that that, and we see it all the time. We know that... Um, if students don't know what they're supposed to work on in a classroom or if they have different goals than the rest of the class, that might sometimes come out as some of that behavior communicating to us as the adults or as the planners that, um, that there's a mismatch between their goals or, and their daily life or, or how we've kind of set that up. Can you talk a little bit about your research in that area too? So when I think about a student in uh, in a particular setting, regardless of what that setting is, um, they have their individual perspectives, they have their individual wants, they have their individual needs, they have the things that give them joy and the things that are scary or difficult. Um, and without, without that voice as part of our um, support plan, it's very difficult to to know that our support plan is going to be effective. Uh, the child themselves are well-equipped or more equipped to give insight into what those things are. Now, we do support through observations and through trying things with students and giving them opportunities, um, providing experiences, but their voice has a great ability to shape what our supports look like and should be um, an equal member or even the most important member at the table when we talk about what does a support plan look like for a child. So you talk about the student's voice being the most important in the room, and 
you bring that into the second of the four levels, which is the classroom and introducing the person guided plan. So what is exactly person guided planning and why is it transformative for the classroom as a whole in the journey toward inclusion? Person guided planning centers program planning around the strengths and abilities and voice of an individual learner while also responding to educational support needs. So we have both of these things working at the same time. Um, We work to shape our systems um, to be more responsive to students uh, rather than shaping students to fit the system, which is what we had just talked about a few moments ago. Um, We stop asking those questions of fit. Um, This is transformative because it's a completely different and transformed conversation. Um, We have the potential to honor student differences and uplift them within our educational systems. This can be empowering for um, students, families, teachers to be able to ask these questions. Again, what is possible? That's absolutely the question that we want to ask. That invites donors into our community and invites everybody into a community of faith, I think, when we ask that question. At All Belong, we have an entire person-guided planning resources and ways to do this that incorporate faith, that incorporate best practices and research and all of those pieces into how we actually do that person-guided planning, particularly it's important at the transition times in a student's life. Um, from middle school to high school or high school to beyond, right? Some of those key pieces of helping everybody feel more comfortable about where we're going together, um, I think is a big piece of that transformative person-guided planning. Um, I think it also points to the fact that inclusion is for everyone, right? We're understanding all kids really well. We're going to know kids well and then build the flexible system of supports around individual kids. Um, and, And we believe that's a faithful way to use our resources, too, because it's a more efficient and targeted way of thinking about support services. I love that. I wish I would have had that in in those awkward transition years in school of <laughs> going from middle school to junior high, junior high to high school. And I, you know, how that is hearing you both talk about it. It is truly transformative. But I'm as I was reading the chapter and, and talking with you both, I I know a lot of educators and teachers um, both here at All Belong and, and just in life in general. And um, educators seem to be carrying really heavy burdens and nearly impossibly high expectations in recent years. And so I think there are a lot of teachers, most teachers, I would say, if not all, um, who would want to implement these practices and know their students so excellently, like what you're talking about. Um, And they'd want to know better what is needed for their classroom, but they don't feel like they have the capacity to take on one more thing um, that is such a huge and worthy task, one that they would absolutely want to take on, but maybe don't feel like they have the capacity to do it. Um, So what would you both say to teachers who are feeling burdened like that? Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of research during COVID, especially too, of like how how much teachers' well-being um, is suffering, right? We want mental health to be uh, good for everyone involved in our communities. Um, 
But there are different ways to think about support. There are different ways to think about how we are um, supporting our teams and our staff really well. I'm speaking from an administrator's perspective, for example. And I think one of those pieces that we tend to forget about is the um, leaving space and time for collaboration. We can not just invest in teachers, but invest in teams and the space for everybody to be on the same page, to feel like we're not in this alone, and to work with each other so that we have multiple eyes on a kiddo, multiple understandings and perspectives of their strengths and weaknesses um, and how those are going to manifest throughout the school year. So I think as we think about that support, as we think about not overwhelming people, it's really just important to think about how we're investing in that team, giving the space for collaboration, and developing those healthy ways of responding to to challenging behaviors. I think that is so key. And I think that a lot of administrators might hear in that, um, okay, so we need to add jobs or titles. We need to add more people to to the equation to to make this happen. But you talk about in, in this chapter um, how all belong has actually defined roles for support rather than job titles or positions. Um, can you talk a little bit about those five different roles support staff perform in order to create this culture of inclusion and how might those roles look practically in a school or in a schedule? Absolutely. Um, and this is where the, the collaboration piece that investing in a team, really the rubber hits the road, right? Because these are the things we're gonna make sure there's space for in a schedule, in a teacher's or a special education teacher's schedule to do all of these roles. Um, so going through those five that we mentioned, the first one is a consultative role. And this is consultative with general education teachers, making sure that um, our experts in the building are having as much of a, an impact as possible. The second piece, that second role, is going to be diagnostic. Um, and that's where we want our support services staff to have some education and specialized training to be able to to test students, to be able to do some of those hands-on pieces. The third role then is teaching or remediation. Inclusion doesn't always mean in the classroom. It means getting each student what they need. Sometimes that might be pull-out teaching. Sometimes that might be teaching an alternative curriculum, particularly in the high school years, for example. The fourth piece is the supervision role. Because we want to invest in teams um, and we want to make sure that our our staff members with the highest expertise have the biggest impact, we can use paraeducators, we can use other staff as extensions of those, um, those people with the most expertise. And then the final one is that advocacy role. And that's a role where we come in too to help um, make sure with parents, with administrators, with general education teachers to ensure that students are receiving the accommodations and the modifications um, that that we have promised, right? We always wanna advocate for the student and what's going to be best for them. Um, And that's a piece of that job description too. I would uh, love to add on to that and say, yes, capacity for individuals has been stretched. Um, 
But sometimes these worthy tasks uh, are life-giving. They feed you. Um, they build you up. Uh, so gathering resources, finding other people um, helps us take that take that plunge. Um, one of the greatest challenges during the last couple years has been finding community with each other. Um, what Elizabeth just said has the potential to grow our communities and help us build those connections with each other. We can't be islands, right? And we don't want to be, especially after the last few years. Mm, we've been islands for the past two years. I'm, <laughs> I'm a little tired of being an island. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. Um, I love what you said about, you know, we feel stretched, um, but some of these tasks, they're actually life-giving. Like at the, at the very beginning, it might feel like I'm just going to stretch myself a little bit more and it's going to push me to my max limit, but it ends up being something that's completely life-giving. And um, I've really enjoyed seeing that here at All Belong and in some of the schools that I've visited and, and talked with teachers about that. Um, and I think that kind of comes into this fourth level of culture where this identity of inclusion um, covers the culture of, of the school. Um, and so, Kate, in your research, um, what are you finding that reflects or points to that enormous life-giving benefit of having a school culture of inclusion? This body of research is still growing, um, but what is clear to me from all of those who have written about inclusive Christian education uh, regarding this culture for inclusion is this path toward belonging. Um, a school culture of inclusion builds belonging. Uh, a culture of inclusion is key or critical for growing that reciprocity in relationships um, and interdependence between people um, to have one's needs met, but at the very same time be highly valued in your school community um, and, and be needed by your school community. Uh, a school culture of inclusion means that the vision for the school is, again, focused on what is possible for the students. It gets rid of those barriers, it builds community, um, has identified resources that are work uh, that are focused on the work of inclusion. Um, one great thing about this community is that when challenges arise, it means that we um, can move toward the call of action to work through some of those challenges rather than spending on our time trying to explain why the challenges are ones that need to be addressed in the first place. So that culture of belonging, that um, identity of belonging, helps us move into how to do this really well. Kate, you used some of my favorite words in that answer. Thank you. Uh, one of which I want to just call out, which is interdependence, right? I think in the world of special education, in the world of, of inclusion dialogue, we can often hear or hear folks who want to focus on, the, on independence for a student um, or, or be overly focused on that area. And my answer is usually I'm not fully independent. Why would I expect anybody else to be? <laughs> I get lots of help from my community, from my church, from my family, you know, like we are all connected to each other and, and we need to recognize that um, and, and push ourselves to recognize that in all that we do. One thing I like to talk about with this topic is the fact that interdependence is not transactional. It's not one for one. This is how we move in community with each other. I offer this, someone else offers this, sometimes I take this, someone else takes something different. And that's what makes our community work. It's not transactional, it truly is interdependent. Amen.
Amen is right. That's <laughs> that's a good word for today. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so um, I think that, you know, I think that's a huge takeaway in and of itself. But uh, we know, Kate, that you're a professor training educators and future educators. And what is it that you would wish for all educators to know in preparation for students who might challenge them in the classroom? So my students hopefully will be able to tell you this, but um, a message (laughs) that I hope uh, all new teachers walk away with is that our goal is to honor and uplift all of our students in the same way that Christ has restored honor to the body. So when students challenge you in the classroom, which can feel emotion-laden, stressful at times, sometimes difficult, uh, the best way to honor students is to step back and ask those questions. Why does this happen? What could be different? Um, How can I make this environment different? What is needed here? What is the student saying to me? By asking these questions, uh, we have the potential to uplift our students, um, to honor our students within our schools. Um, We have the potential to grow our inclusive communities and respond to students um, and respond to the people that we have in front of us each day. Thank you, Kate. Um, I, I love that we were able to title this chapter From Program to Identity. Um, I think the default is often to look at programs to replicate something that already exists to find an easy way to solve our problems, right? But so often that can cause more issues. But when we go to identity, when we look at inclusion as an identity and not just a program, we get to ask those big questions um, and we get to bring our faith into it. We get to look for the calling of what could this be and imagine possibilities. Um, and so when I, when I hear you talk about identity, when we think about that, um, I think it's, uh, it's a great challenge to leave our listeners with to leave aside the word program and instead focus on that identity, focus on our identity, our students' identities um, as, as image bearers of God. And I pray that everyone... Uh, can challenge themselves to do that a little bit more. Yes. Thank you. Thank you both uh, for a great conversation today and just a little bit deeper look in the chapter um, that you both wrote together. Um, And thank you to our listeners, Uh, whether you are new or returning, we are glad you were with us for our third episode of the All Belong podcast. We continue the conversation on Leading Insights Special Education and Inclusion next month with another contributing author to the monograph. We have a link to purchase the book in our show notes, so be sure to check that out and definitely take a look at this chapter that Kate and Elizabeth wrote together. You can listen, subscribe, and follow the All Belong podcast wherever you normally listen to your favorite podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Apple, and more. So please share us with your colleagues and your friends and help us out by leaving ratings and comments on your favorite podcast platform. If you're interested in learning more about All Belong and our mission in inclusive education, you can connect with us on our website, www.allbelong.org, or on our social media channels. We are on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and please join us April 30th for episode four, where we'll talk with our next guest and explore more of Leading Insights, special education and inclusion. Until next time.